I want to welcome you all to our church, especially on this weekend, Super Bowl weekend. Uh, you have been seeing a bunch of people wear jerseys, and, and just so you know, I do know the difference between basketball and football, okay? Uh, I, I had to represent uh, my main man, Kobe Bryant. Uh, so sad about his, his loss, but uh, here's why I wanted to do that. Um, Say whatever you want to say about Kobe Bryant as a person. As a basketball player, uh, he is in a class that few people will ever be in. His pursuit of excellence is, is just awe-inspiring. And for, for me as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, to pursue excellence well in, in areas of work, at home, here uh, on this platform, uh, man, I think just as Christians, we, we would be well-served to strive by the grace of God to be excellent in the things that we do, especially in this series that we've been in to engage the people around us with excellence uh, is just something that weighs heavy on my heart. So I wanted to pay tribute to the Mamba and, and uh, add to his legacy a little bit. If you have your Bibles, meet me in Proverbs 18. And uh, I want to take us back in history a little bit. I want to take us back to the summer of 2009. In 2009, I was a junior at the University of Arizona. I was living in Tucson, Arizona. I was a self-described functional pothead. <laughs> Welcome to church. I bet you weren't expecting that. How many pastors have you heard say that? Uh, I was smoking weed anywhere from three to five times a day. Uh, this was without a doubt my poison of choice. I wanted nothing to do with Jesus. I, I wanted nothing to do with Christianity. Christianity to me seemed like a massive guilt trip, seemed like this cosmic level guilt trip to trick people into morality. And I hated feeling guilty. It's kind of why I gravitated so much towards marijuana. It made that guilt just go away. Uh, so suffice it to say, what was very far off my radar was a close relationship with Jesus. Uh, what was even further off of my radar was coming to Modesto to do an unpaid internship over my summer break. And then I get a phone call from my grandpa who was like, hey, do you want to come to Shelter Cove and do an unpaid internship over your summer break? I said, grandpa, thank you for the offer. Let me think about it. I hung up the phone and said, no way. Absolutely no way. My plan at the time was to work construction with my dad. He, uh, him and my mom live in the Las Vegas area and uh, was going to do construction, make some decent money, and enjoy all the trappings of Las Vegas. There was no part of me that wanted to come to Modesto, <laughs> hang out with a bunch of church people, and what does Modesto have to offer, like allergies and car theft? Like what, it was, what was I going to find here? So I said, no, Grandpa, I'll be fine on that. And then I found out that I could get college credit for doing this internship. That meant I would have to take fewer classes my senior year of college. That meant I could have a chill senior year of college. I said, Grandpa, sign me up for this internship. I'll go up there, play nice. I'll do the church thing, smile, fake it, get my college credit, and be out of there. I was going to be working with the high school ministry. The high school pastor at the time, I remember this real kind of funny, dynamic leader, this guy, uh, the, the high school students loved him, all the adults uh, loved him, the adult leaders loved him. Uh, what I remember most about him had this spectacular hair. In fact, I want to show you this picture of our high school pastor. There he is. <laughs> in all of his glory. So the suave, debonair lead pastor you see up here, that's what he used to look like. We must never forget, church. Don't ever forget <laughs> what Pastor Jeremy used to look like. I remember I came up here, and the very first night I was here, he goes, Chad, I want you to come over and have dinner with me. 
And I'm immediately like a little suspicious, like, what do you want to have dinner? Are you going to like try and pry into my personal business? What's up, dude? You're going to try and baptize me in the bathtub? What's going on? And I show up and it, and it wasn't weird at all. It wasn't like he greeted me at the front door with like priestly garments. He was just dressed normally and came in. He had basketball on. It was the NBA finals. The NBA finals were on. And come to find out, he had played uh, basketball in junior college. Like, he knew the game really well. We started talking about basketball. Um, got to meet his family, got to meet his wife and kids. And I remember he uh, grilled up some steaks that night, and he came in from the back sliding glass door. He walks in with the steaks on the plate, and he goes, dude, I think I overcooked these steaks. I'm like, bro, I'm sure it's fine. It wasn't fine. Uh, they, were, they were cooked. We had steak jerky that night, and he, he felt so bad for like years afterwards. Jeremy was like, dude, I got to make it up to you. I promise I know how to cook steaks. And uh, I'll tell you what I, I really remember about the night. It's not so much the food. What I remember is how endearing and how loved I felt that night because he just asked me a ton about my life, my story. He shared with me his life, and uh, we talked a little bit about what the summer was going to look like, and I remember leaving his house that night going, wow, that's it's just a really cool dude. He, but I can tell he loves Jesus a lot. There's something about him. He really loves the Lord a lot. Now, little did I know that that summer was not going to play out the way that I thought. The Lord just relentlessly went after my heart that summer. The Lord started to show me, Chad, you're really, really good at finding short-term gratification, but you are terrible at finding any kind of lasting joy and peace. I know a better way. The Lord started to show me, Chad, you are guilty. You're guilty and dead in your sin. You're just trying to get rid of that guilt the wrong way. I get rid of your guilt. I get rid of your sin. Started to show me the lavish, wonderful nature of his grace, the sufficiency of the cross that he has accomplished for me what I could never do. Uh, and to make a long story even longer, uh, the, the Lord just grabbed my heart that summer. Man, it wasn't linear. The process wasn't clean. A lot of hills and valleys, a lot of ups and downs. And they offered me to come work with the junior high ministry. And man, here we are 10 years later, still part of this church family. Now, if I had to, if I had to name the top three people who have influenced my spiritual walk, Depending on which sermons I'm listening to, which books I'm reading, which podcasts I'm listening to, there are some names that might kind of get replaced, shifted in and out, but there's one name that, that's in there every single day of the week, and that name is Jeremy Oldenberger. That man has influenced and shaped my walk with Jesus more, more than anyone else on the planet. And it's not so much because he has this platform of being a church leader, it's not so much because he has the platform of speaking and preaching, although that's helped. What has influenced and shaped my life more than anything else is the fact that Jeremy just opened up his life to me. Like, I can't tell you how many Tuesday nights after youth group, we would be out in that ministry mall just talking until 9, 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, just about life and all the highs and lows. <laughs> he used to come to me on Tuesday nights sometimes. He'd be like, dude. He starts a lot of his sentences with dude. Dude, Applebee's has half-off chicken wings. You want to get chicken wings right now? I'm like, bro, is the Pope Catholic? Of course I want to get chicken wings. <laughs> We'd be at Applebee's till like 11 o'clock at night just mashing chicken wings. Uh, all, he'd invite me to his house, play ping pong. We'd hang out. Uh, there's been so many lunches, so many coffees, all the times working out, playing basketball together. He has opened his life to me, and that fostered a relationship for us to have some of the most profound, powerful conversations I've ever had. 
for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what it means to share. Our word for 2020 is shine. And in order to shine our light, the light of the gospel well, we have to know how to share the light of the gospel. And so we've talked about what does it mean to share your story? What does it mean to share your faith? Scott and Ed did just killer sermons on those. Today I want to look at an aspect that might be a little bit neglected in this conversation. But what does it mean to to share our lives, to open up our lives with people? What I want to do is look at the book of Proverbs, see what Solomon in his wisdom has to say, and then we'll pray. So would you stand with me? We're going to read Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18.1 says this, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Let me pray real quick. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for these men and women. Help us now, Lord, I pray. In your beautiful name, amen. You may be seated. I used to love this show called Survivor Man. Uh, It was on the Discovery Channel. Survivor Man, uh, it was this guy named Les Stroud, this rugged Canadian dude. He would strand himself in all these different uh, rough climates, like tropical, desert, Arctic, and he he would literally strand himself with nothing but a couple basic tools and his camera gear. And I remember being so impressed because this guy could survive anywhere from seven to 10 days in the most rugged environments. He had this like self-reliant, resilient uh, ability to just rely on his own capacity. And, And I've seen in the American culture this, this idea. We pride this idea. We, we, like a, we like to put a lot of focus on being self-sufficient, self-reliant. Kind of this John Wayne, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps mentality, right? And, and so I see that in our culture and, and what I've been seeing grow, and it has grown exponentially over the last 10 years. The increasing digitization of our culture, if that's even a word, our, our, our interactions, right, where there used to be a lot of human-to-human, face-to-face, life-on-life interactions are becoming more and more replaced with screens. There's a lot of digitizing, if that's even a word, with, uh, with screens and technology. So when you couple these two things together, this kind of self-reliant, I don't need people, I can do this on my own, and, and then the replacement of life-on-life interactions with screens, you get the perfect storm of isolation and seclusion, And the Proverbs just said here, a fool isolates himself. The foolish man will keep people at an arm's length. A a fool keeps relationships only two inches deep. The fool only has acquaintances. They have no real friends. They know a lot of people, but they aren't known by a lot of people. Are you tracking with me? And there's a real selfish undercurrent that happens here. They keep people at an arm's length because they seek out their own desire. They're trying to make their life about themselves. There's a real selfishness inherent to this. And the fruit of that selfishness is foolishness. Solomon just said here in his wisdom that the one who isolates himself, when they receive instruction, when they receive wise counsel, you know what they do? They break out against it. They rebel against it. They push it away. They want nothing to do with it. I find this really fascinating. I find it interesting. In our culture, that elevates isolation, self-sufficiency. The scriptures are going to go, hey, that's the pathway to foolishness. You'll become an idiot if you walk down that road. And it's really interesting to see Jesus, like you you read through the Gospels, if there was anybody who could have been self-sufficient, if there was anybody who said, I don't need people, it would have been Jesus. 
and his earthly ministry, how does he start it off? He gathers his 12 boys around him. He recruits. Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And amongst those 12, he's got three that he's really, really close with. If there was anybody who didn't need people, it was Jesus, and yet he gathered people around him. A man that was known for associating with sinners. He involved people into his life. So let me pose this question. What exactly does it mean to share our lives? Like, it's kind of a churchy phrase. What exactly does this mean? I want to try and give a real clear definition. In your notes here, it's going to say this. It is intentionally seeking out deeper connections with people. It is going from acquaintance to friend and going from friend to like real good friend. It's going deeper with people. It's, it's knowing them and being known by them. And there's purpose for it. It's not just doing it for the sake of doing it. There's intentionality behind doing it. Deeper relational connections in order, and you're going to see two purposes here. One is an internal church purpose and one is an outreach outward focus. Number one, in order to find encouragement. We seek deeper relational connections with our brothers and sisters that we might find encouragement to keep following Christ. But we're going to unpack this a little bit more in just a second. The second purpose here is that we might earn the privilege. Earn the privilege to share the gospel with unbelievers. So we share our lives with believers, but we also share our lives with unbelievers. If you do one of these at the expense of the other, you will start to become unhealthy. If a lot of your time and energy is just focused on community with the saints, you will start to become unhealthy in the way that you view unbelievers. And, and the flip side is true. If, if the majority of your social time is spent with unbelievers, it, it will start to be unhealthy in how you interact with your family in Christ. We, we need to do this wisely and in balance. And so what I want to talk about with us today are, are these two facets. How do we share our lives with our family in Christ, which is going to kind of be internal, healthy for our soul, and then how do we share our lives with those that are outside the family of Christ? In your notes, the next point here, how do we share our lives with our family in Christ? How exactly do we do this? I want to first of all show you that we are commanded to do this. This is not just me recommending this. I'll show you a great verse here in the book of Hebrews. How does Moses make his coffee? He brews it. Thank you. I'll be here all week. <laughs> Hebrews 10.25. Not neglecting. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What the writer of Hebrews just said, do not neglect, do not give up the practice of meeting together, as some are doing. You're going to hear people all the time be like, I love Jesus, I just don't like the church. Church is full of hypocrites. And I always love to say, yeah, that's why I fit right in. You'll be, you'll be perfect, you'll fit right in, bro. You're one of us. I mean, surely you're not going to say there's no hypocrisy in your own life. You're right. The church is absolutely full of hypocrites. There's always room for one more. Come join the club. The scriptures are very clear. No, no, no. Do not give up the practice of meeting together. You need one another. You need each other to encourage each other to keep spurring each other on. In fact, if you read 1024, the verse right before that, it will say continue spurring and encouraging one another to love and good works. So listen, reading your Bible in isolation is good and healthy and beneficial, but it cannot provide you what community with the saints can. Uh, 
prayer by yourself, journaling by yourself, uh, whatever, spiritual discipline, listening to worship music by yourself, good, right, helpful, but it cannot provide what, what community with the believers can. You following me on this? Like I've, I've learned that, that humans are just kind of, we learn like by social osmosis. Like the people that we are around, we become like them. You ever seen this? Uh, for those of you that don't know, I, my full-time work is as a firefighter. I work for, uh, with the fire department in Stockton. and uh, I, I used to take for granted how beneficial it was to constantly be surrounded by believers. There's something about being around your family in Christ that just spurs you on. It encourages you on. Now, this text here said, as the day approaches, uh, what this is referring to is judgment. So there's a little bit of urgency here. The writer of Hebrews goes, hey, we can't play. We can't play around. We don't have time to dilly-dally because judgment is coming. Uh, I need to just tease this out real quick. There's two forms of judgment. I'm going to do kind of a 30,000-foot view here. Uh, For the believers, judgment is not going to be a, a horrible day. It will be, in fact, a blessed, wonderful day. Uh, in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 3, judgment is referred to as the bema seat. It, it means the reward. The, the crowning seat is kind of the picture of a Greek Olympic athlete being crowned. So for the believer, judgment will not be a terrible thing. It will be a blessed time. However, for the unbeliever, there is a moment coming in the future called the great white throne judgment. You, you do not want to be there for that. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb of God, is going to open up the books that detail every single wrongdoing of those that rebelled against God, and he will publicly judge them. The writer of Hebrews says, hey, that day's coming. We don't know when, but we don't have time to play. Let's get going. Let's keep spurring each other on to holiness. So how do we practically do this? Three quick ways here in your notes. We need to regularly attend church. There's some church data out there, people that study church trends in the United States, and what they're showing is that people who consider themselves regular attendees of a church are going to church 1.6 times a month. So that means if your church service is an hour and a half service, you're getting about two hours and some change of church. There's about 720 hours in a month. So if you're trying to subsist off of two hours and change in a 720-hour month, is it any wonder that your Christian walk might be a little bit anemic, a little bit sick, a little bit malnourished? Listen, man, I'll I'll put six or seven hours on Netflix in a day and not even think about it. You couple that with being surrounded by people who are not followers, not believers, they're hostile to the gospel, you f- couple that with ingesting all of the, the different information that's out there that's not friendly to the things of the Bible. Is it any wonder that we find ourselves struggling? There is something blessed about the corporate gathering of saints. Like we come here to, to re-gospel each other. We come here to remind each other of who we are in Jesus because we forget. I forget. I'm not immune to that. The pastors that teach up here are not immune to that. We need church as much as you need it. We come here to remind ourselves, to encourage ourselves. We come here to worship. We, we cannot give up the regular gathering of the saints. Secondly, find your group. The corporate gathering is great, but it's kind of broad. There are some specific issues in your life that will probably never be addressed from someone up here on the platform. It can only be addressed 
from small group intimate community, life on life, person to person interaction. Right? There are things you're going through that, that just can't be healed in this type of setting. They're healed over face-to-face conversations with a meal, with a cup of coffee. They're healed by, by that close, intimate interaction. And so what we, we've tried to do as a church is set up all kinds of avenues for you to find your group. We've got men's groups, women's groups, seniors groups, groups for teenagers. We've tried to set up as many groups as possible life groups that are meeting in homes, the way that you figure those out, the way that you get plugged into that, in thecove.com. Super clean, super simple. You jump onto that website and we will get you lined up with your group. And I want to say this because some people get derailed. They try like a small group. They jump into a men's group or a women's group and it doesn't work out. And they're like, well, I'm done. This isn't for me. Not going to work. It's actually very common for you to try a group and have it not fit. That's okay. It's okay for that to happen. Don't be derailed by that. Don't, don't lose heart. Try and find your group, find your people. Because man, there's nothing as life-giving as having a brother or sister that you can sit across with and go, here's where I'm struggling, can you pray for me? Man, life is really, really good, celebrate with me. Or man, life sucks, can you hurt with me and you cry with me, can you pray with me? We need that. You will not survive without it. Third and finally here, serve we got to serve. Uh, one of the things I love about our growth track program is that it helps you figure out your spiritual gifting. You have been hardwired by God Almighty to do something really, really well. Like you do things well that I can't do. Like there are things that come natural to you that I cannot do. I just cannot do. The Lord has specifically gifted you in those areas to serve the body of Christ. And in growth track, we help you figure out where you're gifted at. And here's what happens. When you start serving in your sweet spot, you know who you meet? You meet a bunch of other people that are wired like you are. And it's like, boom, man, you just click. Because they're like you. They think like you. They're gifted like you are. And you know what happens? Friendships start to occur. You start to go deep, and it's not awkward. It's not forced. One of the things I love about serving with brothers and sisters together, man, you just build deep friendships. I have friendships with people in this church. We've gone on mission trips together, Dominican Republic, Kenya, Mexico. Like we got memories and stories together that we'll never forget about. Deep friendship there. There's something powerful about serving. Once again, you want to get plugged into serving? Inthecove.com. Start by going to Growth Track. Either one of those avenues. Great spots for you to get on-ramped into serving. Now, the reason why we have to be healthy, why we have to kind of cultivate our own health, if our souls are not healthy and if we are not walking close to the Lord, we cannot give to others what we do not possess. You following me on that? Shake your heads because you look tired. If we are not nurturing our own souls and nurturing our own hearts, how are we going to be able to share the light of Christ with others? You can't help someone when you're busted up. Right? you got to have something to be able to give. And, and this is why the gathering of the saints is important. It, it nurtures us. It keeps us healthy that we might be able to share it with others. So let's think a little bit now outward focus. Let's talk a little bit uh, focused more on unbelievers. In your notes here, we'll say it like this. We are called to share our lives with the unbelievers. And more specifically, unbelievers in our daily circles. What I mean by this is that you do life in different circles than I do life. Right? You, you shop in different areas than I shop, and you work in different areas than I work. You, you go to different places of entertainment, gyms, whatever it might be, restaurants. That's not by accident. 
I want to show you this verse here. It comes out of the book of Acts. Acts 17 reads like this. He, being God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. It is no accident that you're alive right here, right now. It's no accident that you live in the house or the apartment. It's no accident that you go to the school, you have the job that you have. It's no accident that you frequent the restaurants, the gyms, the coffee shops. All those places where you do daily life is not an accident. God has placed you there that you might bump into unbelievers on a daily basis. And there are places where you just do regular life. Listen, street evangelism is awesome. Right, guys out there preaching the word of God on the streets, guys out there proclaiming the gospel, that's awesome. Yes and amen to that. But there is also something very powerful about you sharing the gospel with people that you run into all the time. I'm gonna run across people that you'll never run across. You're gonna run across people I'll never run across. That's by design. So how do we then invite unbelievers into our lives? Practically, how do we do this? Like as socialization is becoming harder and harder, especially amongst younger people. Man, you hung out with a 13-year-old? All they do is just do this. That's all they know how to do. It's partly our fault before we judge them. Seriously, it's partly our fault. As socialization is becoming harder and harder, how do we navigate the tricky space of having conversations with unbelievers, of inviting them into our life? How do we do this? couple practical ways here in your notes. First of all, find ways to serve and bless. Find ways to serve and bless. Let me try to give you a couple of real life examples. So maybe you have a coffee shop that you go to. Love coffee. Sweet nectar of the gods. I love the stuff. Maybe one of the ways that you could bless the man or woman that's, that's whipping you up coffee every single day is to leave a really, really fat tip one day and just say, hey, man, I've noticed how hard you work. I know how hard it is to deal with people at 5 a.m. who haven't had their caffeine. Man, you just do a great job. I just want to say, you're noticed. I just want to say, keep up the good work. And then you follow up next week. You say, hey, man, how's your job going? How's everything going? Hey, I know this may sound weird, but later on today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be doing some praying. Is there anything I can pray about for you? At, at my job, I'm always trying to find ways to, to just bless the guys around me. Like, I'm always trying to do projects, trying to do stuff that, that I know they don't want to do. And yeah, part of it's because I'm low man on the totem pole, but also another part of it is because I want to bless them. I want to be kind to them. I want to find a way to serve them. And, and Lord willing, as I move up and go through the ranks, I'm going to try to keep doing that as long as I can. I, I knew a guy when I was going through seminary, he would always try to mow his neighbor's lawn. Didn't matter where he lived, he would always try to go out and mow his neighbor's lawn. No strings attached. No, like, under the deal table, just wanted to serve and bless. This is kind of the icebreaker. This is kind of the way that those unbelievers were bumping into. This is the way that we start to kind of build the relationship. Break the ice with them by serving, by trying to bless. Uh, the second way we can do this is by sharing common interests. Because you run in the same circles, because you're in kind of the same circles of life, maybe it's your kids' sports teams, maybe it's the same gym, maybe it's the place that you work at, you have common ground. 
You have commonality. Leverage that. Use that. I've got a guy just down the street um, that, man, I, I just, I love hanging out with him. He's a huge basketball fan. In fact, he played collegiate basketball. He's from North Carolina, played, dude's a baller. He's an incredible basketball. He's got awards, trophies, and he watches basketball in his garage all the time. He have his garage door up. He's got a big old big screen in his garage. And so when I see him watching basketball, you know what I do? I walk down to his house with a couple tasty beverages, and I go into his garage. I'm like, hey, we're watching basketball together. He's like, pull up a chair. We have this common interest together, and I leverage it. I've been doing that for probably three or four years. I've invited him to church twice. He's never come. I've shared my story with him. He knows that I work here. He knows where I stand. When Kobe died uh, just last week, I saw him out front, stopped and talked to him. He hugged me and cried in my arms. And he said, I feel like you're the only guy I could talk to about this. I'm not saying that to toot my own horn. All that started because I just like basketball and I know he likes basketball. And I've tried to serve him, I've tried to bless him. I've invited him to church, didn't work. Success is not in the result, it's in being faithful. And I'm praying the Lord grabs this guy's heart. Third and final, practical way we can invite unbelievers into our lives, utilize hospitality. What do I mean by hospitality? In, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, you see hospitality take a lot of different forms. Uh, usually it's inviting people into your home, inviting people in to feed them, to care for them. Sometimes, though, it takes different forms. It could be in the shape of leaving certain uh, elements of crops out in the field for those that are poor to come and glean. Uh, it could be like Rahab hiding the spies in her roof. Uh, what really, if I had to distill hospitality down, it is making someone feel loved and making someone feel cared for. And, and that can take all kinds of different forms, right? Like, man, sometimes hospitality is, is, is taking coffee to someone at the hospital because they've been up all night. You better believe that's hospitality. Um, sometimes hospitality is inviting a coworker out to lunch. Hospitality has all kinds of different ways, shapes, and forms. I want to show you this verse here. This is out of Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 reads like this. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. I was at Target a couple years back, and there was a lady in front of me who had about $8 worth of groceries. The only thing I can remember on the little conveyor belt was a, a bottle of Tide detergent. She had some other stuff I can't remember. She's a Spanish speaker and was trying to make the transaction with the lady behind the cash register and her card kept getting declined. And I speak a little bit of Spanish. It's very white boy Spanish, but I can speak a little bit. And so uh, I see this happening over and over and I just said to her, hey, it's just a couple of groceries. I'll, I'll pay for it. Don't worry about it. She's like, no, no, no. I'm like, no, it's fine. Just, it's all good. Let me just pay for it. Um, so I paid for it, and she was so appreciative, she grabbed the stuff, and she took off, and the lady rang up the rest of my stuff, and uh, we walk out, and I'm with my wife, and I can see her. She's about 50 yards in front of me, and the Lord's kind of pulling on my heart. I'm like, all right, God, I hear you. I'm going to try and talk to her. And so I'm thinking in my head, how am I going to share the gospel with this lady? What am I going to say? And I'm like, okay, like, this is a small gift. Jesus has a bigger gift of salvation. All right, that's good. I'm going to use that. And so I'm walking up to her. I'm trying to catch up to her. I'm trying to catch up to her. And I'm dragging my wife. I'm like, let's go. I got Jesus work to do. Come on. And I'm trying to catch up to her. 
she rounds the corner of my truck. I had a little red S10 at the time, and she turns the corner, walks down the passenger side of my truck, and we're pretty far out in the, in the Target parking lot. It's the one right here in Crossroads. Pretty far out there, there's no cars around us. She turns around the passenger side, and as I catch up to my truck and go around the passenger side, her and her daughter are gone. They're gone. My wife and I did not see her get into a car. We did not see her, uh, we did not see her like hide under a car. I, I have no idea what happened to this lady. Now, I'm not very like, woo, like in fact, I'm probably a little more on the logical, probably too much on the logical side, but I don't know how to explain that. I don't, I don't know what happened. I don't know where she went. I wonder, I wonder if Hebrews 13, just like a little flicker right there in my life. We are called to bring people into our lives, and, and the Lord's going to do some pretty wild stuff with it. Now, I know here in California, especially in the Central Valley, hospitality is a lost art. You're like, hey, man, come into my house. People are like, no, I don't trust you. <laughs> no. Like, you ever try to talk to your neighbors? Hey, how you doing? They're like, weirdo, and they walk in their house. You have the people that, they don't even get out of their car before they close the garage door. That was my favorite. They just pull in, they're like, boop, not getting out. No, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> so hospitality here in the West, in California, is tough. Let's chat real quick. Just how do we do hospitality wisely? Go through these pretty quickly here. Number one, avoid making location more important than love. If you've got a coworker you want to take out to lunch, Here's what can sometimes happen. Hey, where do you want to go lunch? I don't know. Where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? I don't know. Where You get stuck in this ping pong battle? Listen, just make the decision because the location is not that important. What matters is the love that you're conveying to them. My, uh, my grandpa, my uh, dad's side, his name was Herman Trujillo. He used to take me and my brother this little hole, like podunk little fishing hole called Guasti in Southern California. And then he used to take us to Wiener Schnitzel afterwards, and he had all these coupons he'd cut out. And y'all, we would just ball at Wiener Schnitzel. We would have as many chili cheese dogs and chili cheese fries, kraut dogs. Like, we were eating like kings at Wiener Schnitzel. And I remember, like, it makes me smile to this day because Grandpa just wanted to spend time with us. He didn't take us anywhere fancy. This little smelly fishing hole called Guasti and just grimy fast food at, at Wiener Schnitzel but grandpa wanted to spend time with us. That's what I remember. The love is far more important than the location. If you are gonna have someone at your house, second here, your house should be clean, but it doesn't need to be perfect. It just doesn't. Uh, make sure it's picked up, picked up off, off the floor. I personally am weird about smells, so if your house smells funky, light some candles, get some Febreze going. <laughs> hard to smell your own house, bring in a third party, hey, how's my house smell? <laughs> but listen, it, it doesn't need to be perfect. I have two kids. I clean all day and nothing ever gets clean in my house. That's what parenthood is. Constantly cleaning and nothing's ever clean. So it doesn't need to be perfect, just make it nice, right? Uh, third here, this is a kind of a secret one, and not many people know about this, but involve friends and family. If you're gonna have someone over, you don't have to do it all by yourself. Like, you've got a perfect opportunity tomorrow at the Super Bowl to do this. If you're going to have people over for the Super Bowl, invite a neighbor over. Invite someone you know is going to be alone. And you've already got, like, all your crew with you. So, listen, you don't have to, like, foster the conversation the whole time. You don't have to shoulder the conversation the whole time. You can pawn them off on your other buddies. <laughs> be like, hey, man, help me. 
well, I'm going to have this guy over. Let's, let's be friends with him. And it kind of shares the burden a little bit. You can involve friends and family in this. Fourth here, be authentic. Don't try to be something that you're not. There's two aspects to this. Don't try to portray yourself as something that you aren't. And second of all, don't, don't bait and switch. Don't pull like a shady Christian move and just bait and switch someone. Like, hey, come watch a movie and you put on Passion of the Christ and you're like, <laughs> you know, you put them up there, right? Let's open our Bibles and like, don't, don't pull a shady move like that. Just be authentic, right? You, you don't have to overshare. That's a little weird, but listen, just... And this is where I'm at. It's what the Lord's been doing in my life. Like a great way to do this, especially if you want to share your story. This is a line that I have used time and time again. Hey man, I'd love to have you over. I want to hear your story. And if we have time, I'd love to share with you my story. It's a great line. Steal it. Use it. I stole it from someone. Hey, I'd love to have you over. I want to hear your story. And if we have time, I'd love to tell you my story. That way there's no bait and switch. fifth one here. Ask a lot of questions and listen. A wise man once told me that listening communicates love. Pastor Ed, a couple of weeks ago, went through one of the most practical sermons on how to share your faith. And in that sermon, he, he laid out an acronym, ROCKI, if you missed it, R-O-C-I. Four areas that you can ask questions in. These are areas that people love to talk about. R-O-C-I, residence. Where do you live? And then here's some extra questions. Where did you grow up? Where would you like to move? Where's like your dream house? Where's a dream vacation you would like to go on? Like that all centers around residence. Occupation, what's your job? What would be your dream job? What are the things about your job you love right now? What are the things about your job that cause you to lose sleep? Children, like if children's a part of the equation, ask them about their children. Parents love to talk about their children. And then I, interests. What are the stuff that you like to do? What do you like to do to have fun? People love to talk about their hobbies. And then listen and let people talk. This communicates love. This is a great way to socialize with people. And then sixth and final point here, know when to part ways. This one probably rarely gets talked about in church uh, because we really want to be loving and we really want to invite people in. But Jesus is very clear that there's going, to be, uh, there's going to be people out there that will be hostile to the gospel. He said it like this. Do not throw your pearls before swine and do not give to dogs what is holy. There will be people that you lovingly try to bring in, that you lovingly try to share the hope of the gospel with, and they will despise you for it. With prayer and with wise counsel, you, you should consider hey, how much further should I go with this? Uh, Jesus will even say to his disciples when he sends them out, when you go to someone's house, if they don't welcome you in, shake off the dust and keep going. So there is a time where we need to go, hey, you know what? This isn't going to work. We need to just lovingly part ways. What I want to do by ending this sermon is I, is I, I suspect that people are in a lot of different seasons. Maybe you're very new to church and, um, man, you don't really have any people around you. Maybe you got baptized last weekend. You're like, man, I need some people around me. Maybe you are a seasoned veteran, but 
but you have lost your heart to welcome in those who are far from Christ. What I want to do is just give you about 30 seconds to be with the Lord and ask the Lord, what do I do now? Lord, is there a person I need to invite tomorrow for our Super Bowl party? Lord, is there a person at work I need to take out to lunch? Lord, I've been trying to do Christianity by myself. Where's my group? Where do I fit in? Help me to find my group. I don't know what that looks like, but the Lord does. So I want to just give you 30 seconds right now. Pray, be with the Lord, and then I'll close this out. Father, I want to thank you for our time together and um, help us now, God, lead us. It's not enough to just hear the word. We must be doers, God. So for those of us that are in need of, of good community with the saints, Lord, help us to find our group. For those of us who have grown tired of trying to uh, reach out, reach the lost, God, compel us, compel our hearts, move us to action, Lord, wake us from complacency. Lord, Christianity is just way more fun when we're on the front lines, when we're reaching out, when we're getting to see you work. Christianity is boring when we sit on the sidelines. So I pray that we'd be light, God. Pray that we'd be good ambassadors to your name. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us, that you hold the ways to life, that you are the good shepherd. May we point people well to you. I pray these things in your wonderful name. Amen.